today on the show, I will be covering the romantic comedy About Time, the revolutionary thriller V for Vendetta, and the slapstick surreal comedy Airplane. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in. I do appreciate it. And uh, I guess since I'm covering three movies today, I really should, uh, I I should make quick work of these warm-up topics. One that I did want to talk about that I was thinking about just before I started recording was Tic Tacs. So I usually don't get the the minty flavored Tic Tacs. I'm I'm a I'm an orange guy. Or like they have a fruity adventure one now that's pretty solid. And I was once called a psychopath by my roommate way back when because when I when I consume Tic Tacs, I don't like suck on a Tic Tac for any period of time before I just I immediately start by biting into them. I just chew the Tic Tacs right away. No hesitation. I feel that that's the only way to live in the Tic Tac world is to just start gnawing. You know what I mean? Now, that wasn't actually on my like regularly scheduled warm-up topics, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. I, I, I feel strongly about the way that you should eat Tic Tacs. A little PSA for you. Don't explain to somebody why something was good. If you disagree with them, if they say that they think something wasn't funny, don't explain to them why it was funny. Because even if they didn't get the joke and then they they get the joke now, it obviously didn't land for them. And if it couldn't land for them on the first try, it's not going to come around the second time. So just, just be cognizant of that. The next thing... That I wanted to talk about, and this will also be pretty brief. I, I've had a couple of experiences lately with uh, patronizing businesses and being a little disappointed by the way they conducted themselves. I personally, I've worked a lot of service industry type jobs. I've worked, you know, I, I have worked for grocery stores, for clothing stores. I've worked at uh, a popular pizza chain. Uh, I, I've, I've been around, so to speak, in, in the world of retail and being a customer service representative. So I, I like to think that I'm a bit, you know, I mean, I've got like over 10 years of experience in that. So it's, I like to think I, I have some idea what the hell I'm talking about. But there are some things that I keep seeing happen that I can't get there with, with what the people are doing. I, I can't understand what their logic is. So first things first, I went to a taco truck, you know, I, I've got this new favorite taco truck that I, I went to the other day and they posted on their Facebook that they were going to be open at 3.30. I didn't eat lunch. I was planning on this taco truck, okay? And my, my first rule here is abide by your business hours. If you say you're going to be open from 3.30 till whenever you need to be open for those hours and ready to go. I got there at 3.30 and they were still closed and somebody was standing outside their business and it was like somebody that worked there apparently and they said, hey, uh, it'll only be a few minutes. They've just got a couple of things that they, they've got to get around and then they'll be ready. And I was like, okay. 
And then finally they, you know, after five to 10 minutes, they opened up and said, how can I help you? You know, and I walk up and I place my order and I ordered way more food, by the way, still doing the fucking hardcore overeating one or two days a week and then fasting the other days a week. Like it, oh man, it's, it's rough, but it's what I got to do. I placed the order and they said, okay, um, it'll be, it's going to be like five to 10 minutes while we wait for the grills to warm up. And then your food should be ready in about 20 to 25 minutes. And I was like, okay, you know, I was already, I was already there. You know, I'd already paid all that shit. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to deal And then it was like, all I could think to myself was, why did you tell me that you hadn't warmed up the grills yet? Like, A, why hadn't you warmed up the grills yet? But on top of that, why would you even tell, why wouldn't you just say it's going to be 20 to 25 minutes and I could just write it off to that and not actually know that you're just being irresponsible with when you get your equipment ready to be used, you know? I would just say, as far as I was concerned, they weren't even open officially until 3.45 when it said 3.30. You know what I mean? So it it was just kind of annoying to me. It kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. I think it'll be a while before I go back there. Not that it's going to hurt them because they do really well where they're at. But the other thing that I noticed at this... I mean, I notice it a lot at like McDonald's and I don't go to McDonald's very often. But uh, I've noticed that they'll the employees will have a bad habit of saying, you know, your total is 843. And then you go to use your card or hand them money and they're not ready to take your money. And they've got other shit that they've got to do before that. Then all I ask is that if you're in that position and I've worked a lot of cash registers in my life, you don't present the total for the order until you are prepared to take money for that order. Because you never know how somebody's going to be paying. They could be paying with a card. They could be paying with cash. They could be paying with a check. Who knows? I mean, most people, I like to think like only old people pay with checks now because holy shit, we don't need checks anymore. It's like fraud waiting to happen with checks. Like, I mean, debit cards are bad enough, but at least they're not horribly difficult to accept his payment, right? And that segues us into our first movie. And by segues us, I mean just abruptly shifts gears and pivots to a new topic. Uh, About Time was released on September 4th, 2013. A lot of people I talked to have never heard of this movie. I went to the movie theater, I think it was the new movie theater in Marquette, and saw this with my friend Katie. Uh, her and I typically do not see eye to eye on things. Uh, she's she's a hardcore John Cusack fan. I like I love John Cusack. Don't get me wrong, but she likes every movie John Cusack's in, and or it seems like almost every movie. And I can't quite get there. But her and I actually both thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and we had nothing but good things to say about it. And I was very relieved and. Her and I, I think we also agree on When Harry Met Sally, which I don't think it's actually like a romantic comedies kind of thing. It's like a, you know, just a, a confusing coincidence that we happen to like those two movies. But for the most part, we we don't agree on anything. So this movie, About Time, as I mentioned, was directed by, or directed and written by 
Richard Curtis. Uh, he made Love Actually, uh, Pirate Radio, slash The Boat That Rocked, depending on what region you're in. He, he made something called Red Nose Day, actually. And I think it was just like a special edition version of Love Actually, because I don't... It's like a spiritual sequel. I don't know what the fuck it is. He he really doesn't have a whole lot of movies that he's that that I know that he's been involved in. I mean, he had others on the list, but not many. As far as uh, as the score to this movie, there's I, it's not really a notable composer, but the soundtrack. Now, it's not really a soundtrack item per se, but at one point in the movie, the main character, who I will talk about in a minute references a song called Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen by Baz Luhrmann. And it's a very, it's it's unlike any quote-unquote song I've ever heard before. I mean, it's got a beat to it. It's got, you know, music backing it. But it's basically just a guy talking and he's dispensing advice about life. And there's not really, I mean, there's kind of a chorus type, I guess. Not really, though. But the quote from the movie is, Worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind. Which is a, it's a pretty solid quote. But I would honestly say, if you ever get a chance, look for this song, Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen by... Baz Luhrmann, and just, even if you just read the lyrics, you don't even have to listen to the song, read the lyrics, and there's there's a lot of great sage advice in that song. Okay, so getting into the cast, we have Domhnall Gleeson, who plays the character of Tim. I personally know him from the Star Wars sequel trilogy. He plays General Hux. He was in Ex Machina, which is an excellent movie. I fucking love Ex Machina. The Revenant. Forgot he was even in it until I saw it on his list. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Shit, he was in that. He was in American Made with Tom Cruise, which I was so-so on. I I thought it was decent, but, you know, the whole Tom Cruise thing always weighs it down. He was in Dread, I guess, but... And I don't know if you guys know about Dread. I'd like to cover Dread at some point, but with me having covered Sin City, I, I feel like covering too many comic book movies. I, I've, I've already done a lot of them, so I might not do Dread for a long time. Uh, he was also Bill Weasley in the last two Harry Potter movies, and I, 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 I didn't really see anything that he had been in that I was like, oh yeah, I need to check that out. That looks really good. You know what I mean? Next up is Rachel McAdams. She plays the character Mary. She is in, you know, you know her from... The Notebook. Uh, she's she was in Wedding Crashers, which honestly I think that's I think dark hair on Rachel McAdams is the best look on her. I think she it really complements her well. But it's not her. I, as far as I know, she's naturally blonde, not necessarily as blonde as you've seen her in some movies like Mean Girls. But she was also in uh, Sherlock Holmes. You know the first and the second one, uh, the Guy Ritchie ones, and. Uh, she was in the two Doctor Strange movies that have come out so far. She was in Spotlight, which was a solid, re- like, uh, based on a true story 
movie. And then she was in Game Night, which actually was a lot more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. It was actually a really good time and I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, One to two movies I need to see with Rachel McAdams are Southpaw with Jake Gyllenhaal and Red Eye with Killian Murphy. I own Southpaw, but I just haven't gotten around to actually watching it. And Red Eye... I'm kind of iffy on whether or not I should really watch that. Uh, Fun fact, Zoe Deschanel was actually, I believe, cast for the role. And then they, they went in another direction and they chose Rachel McAdams. I think Rachel McAdams was a better fit for this role than Zoe Deschanel. I don't know. I mean, because of the characters that Zoe Deschanel has played... I can't really picture her being as likable in this role. You know, because I'm used to her as like Summer from 500 Days in Summer, Jess from New Girl, the girl from Elf. I mean, just a bunch of movies that it's like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of, you know, what she would have brought to this role if, if she were in it. Next up on the cast is Bill Nye, and he plays Tim's dad. He was in Love Actually. He plays this aging rock star. And he was in The Pirates of the the Caribbean. I don't remember which movies specifically because I I stopped paying attention to those movies a long time ago. He was in Pirate Radio slash The Boat That Rocked. So quite a few overlaps with him and the director here. He was in Shaun of the Dead. He played Shaun's stepdad. And... Should I see, this is, I always, I always try and put like one movie by an, you know, an actor in the cast that I haven't seen that I might want to see. And I'm kind of curious looking at this because I keep seeing it pop up. Should I see the Total Recall remake? Is that a thing that I should do? Because I almost wonder if maybe I should do a whole episode comparing original to remake and see what you know, what lands and what's what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. I think that could be good. Next up, we have Tom Hollander, who plays Harry, who is actually Tim's roommate at one point in this movie. Tom Hollander was in Pride and Prejudice, Bohemian Rhapsody, a bunch of other stuff that I don't recognize him from, and a movie that keeps coming up that I definitely need to see, which is called Gosford Park. I have no idea what it's about, and I want to keep it that way. I want to watch this fucking movie, and I might even do it today if I have time. But I don't know, with editing and all that shit, it takes so fucking long to edit. So I really need to check out Gosford Park. Uh, Next up is Margot Robbie. She plays the character of Charlotte, who is a friend of Tim Domhnall Gleeson's um, sister. And... You know, Margot Robbie is one of those, like, otherworldly gorgeous people that you you only read about. You know, she was in The Big Short for a brief moment. She was in the Suicide Squad movies. She was in The Wolf of Wall Street. She was in Birds of Prey. Uh, She's going to be in the Barbie movie, which Ryan Gosling made some comments about what that Barbie movie was going to be. And I just don't know what to make it. I don't know if he's just trying to stir up shit to get publicity for it or what. Uh, back to Margot Robbie, though. She was also in I, Tanya, which is the Tanya Harding story. So I fucking love... I love that kind of movie where it's like... It's a true story, but it's it's fictionalized and it's made humorous, you know? Like, it's, it's funny. I mentioned The Wolf of Wall Street. She's super duper naked in that movie, and it is 
top notch. I, I'm doing, you can't see me right now, but I'm doing the that like Italian moi thing, you know, with my, my fingers. She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and she was in Bombshell, which is the one about the uh, female network news anchors that were, um, I, I think it was, they were getting sexually harassed or something. I can't remember. I've, it's been a long time since I watched it. But it, I mean, it was a solid movie, and she she was in it with Charlize Theron and uh, Charlize Theron and Nicole Kidman. You know, since I'm covering this many movies, I just move right along to the plot synopsis. So the, the quoted, like the official plot synopsis for this movie is, At the age of 21, Tim discovers he can travel in time and change what happens and has happened in his own life. His decision to make his world a better place by getting a girlfriend turns out not to be as easy as you might think. I don't... It's not even wrong. It's just... That's not how I would market this movie. That's not how I would sell this to people. Um, I mean, I, I oversimplified it and I said, Guy is not good with women. Is told by dad on his birthday that he has the power of time travel, basically. He can go back and get his many do-overs as he wants, thinks he can use it to get women no one would ever have a chance with, Margot Robbie, for example. As he progresses through life, he faces different challenges and tries to use the powers to solve them. So, highlights of this movie. there I have a lot to praise about this movie. Uh, the the balance of humor and drama. It's, it's only like just lighthearted humor. You know, it's not too over the top. It's not like they're constantly looking for a laugh or something, you know, it's just like more situational humor that is, it just seems like it's more organic. So that's kudos to them for, for pulling that off. The time travel thing actually works very well and it doesn't seem as ridiculous as it would based on that synopsis that I read. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson is a solid presence on screen and he is, he's a pretty solid narrator. I mean, honestly. Uh, Rachel McAdams is the love of my life, um, one of many, and uh, the film is shot uh, remarkably well and has a good warm feeling to it. It it feels like it ought to, in my opinion. It it feels almost like you're standing or sitting right there with the people that are in the movie. It's very solid in that way. My only criticism, and these aren't real criticisms. Uh, it kind of makes me super sad at parts. You know, they're just they're just sad moments that happen, and and I also I tried to recommend this movie to my sister, and usually my sister never heeds my advice. And then she watched this movie when I suggested it to her, and she was like having a particularly emotional week or something at work, and she watched this fucking movie, and she was like. She texted me that she was bawling her eyes out and shit. And why did I do this to her and all this shit? And I'm like, oh my God. So a couple of, couple of brief notes uh, trivia wise. Someone named Catherine Shord, who I guess is like a film critic of some sort, said that this was about as close to home as an homage can get to Groundhog Day without calling in the copyright team. Not true. Not accurate at all. This movie bears very little resemblance, as a matter of fact, to Groundhog Day. It, it, I mean, other than, you know, like, you do over 
moments and stuff. You know, you, you see, but Groundhog Day, he is living the same exact day over and over and over again. And in this movie, he redoes moments and learns from them and he has control over it. And I, I just, I don't buy that load of horseshit. Apparently this film was a big hit in South Korea and made $3 million there, which is a pretty big deal because South Korea, I guess, is pretty small. There was not jack shit about this movie on IMDb, which always bums me out when I've already, you know, picked the movie and watched it or whatever. Uh, the runtime of this film was 123 minutes, which is just about right. I might have said it needed to be a little bit shorter. That might be one criticism I'd give to it. But not too much, just a little bit, you know, maybe like 10 minutes shorter or something. The budget was $12 million, worldwide gross to date, $88.5 million. Its IMDb rating is 7.8 out of 10. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 70%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 81%. My personal rating, it's one of my all-time favorite Romantic comedies. Sorry, five out of five stars. Go fuck yourself if you disagree. I don't care. I, do, I don't care. All right. Moving right along, we have quite the thriller in this next movie. It's called V for Vendetta. Came out on March 17th, 2006. The director of this movie, James McTeague, all of his known for movies and everything from IMDb, nothing jumped out at me other than this movie. The Wachowskis wrote this movie, which, you know, they were they were the ones that made the Matrix movies, and you know, that's like the the connective tissue between them and I think and Hugo Weaving being chosen in this movie. Uh, they they based the screenplay on Alan Moore's graphic novel of the same name. I have here Alan Moore wrote the graphic novel and disassociated himself from the movie due to not being given involvement, but he also tends to be a twat despite being a gifted writer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, that's he, he's he's such a he's got so many great works. He wrote Watchmen. He wrote, you know, he's he wrote um, the killing joke, the bat, you know, Batman, the killing joke, which is a good story. I don't think it's as good as people say it is because the ending kind of leaves me empty, but maybe it's supposed to. So the Wachowskis, when they adapted this to screen, you know, they they made it a more faithful adaptation to screen than others did. They updated it and put in more modern sensibilities and and themes. And it was a little more of a condensed narrative because, I mean, the the graphic novel is not exceedingly large, but it's also not, like, super fucking tiny either. You know what I mean? It's usually Alan Moore's work is pretty fucking dense. So the main character, the, the top-billed actress in this movie is, is Natalie Portman, and she plays Evie Hammond. She is, uh, her character is the employee of a state-run uh, British TV network and um she just kind of works there she you know I covered I covered her you know back Natalie Portman's background on uh Thor Love and Thunder so you know bounce over to listen to that if you if you want to get the updates so next in line was Hugo Weaving he was the character V he's a masked skilled terrorist 
who is a political revolutionary. Hugo Weaving is what some might refer to as a nerd god, okay? He was Agent Smith in the Matrix movies, and he was Elrond in the Lord of the Rings movies, and I think some of the Hobbit movies. I can't remember what overlap there is in those movies. He voiced Megatron in the Transformers movies, which I watched the first one, and I know a lot of people fucking love those movies, but I thought they were the dumbest fucking movies I'd ever seen. I I mean, I think I saw the first one, and I maybe saw the third one, but they they did not impress me, and they were... It was worse than that. It was like, they seemed cheesy to me, and that's that's not a good good way to be. He was also Red Skull in Captain America. Yeah, he, he was in the movie Cloud Atlas. I, I have no idea if I should see that movie, but I've heard of it and maybe it's good. I don't know. I've heard mixed things. Steven Ray? Rhea? R-E-A? Ray? I don't know. Uh, he plays Eric Finch, who is the chief inspector of the new Scotland Yard and minister of investigations. He is in... Interview with a Vampire, and not much else of note. Um, one movie I wouldn't mind seeing of his was uh, The Crying Game. And I know, I like, I already know the twist of that movie, which is kind of a bummer, but whatever. Stephen Fry is in this movie. He plays Gordon Diedrich, a popular closeted gay talk show host. Uh, he was in, I, I didn't realize he had been in so many movies because I don't ever see him in movies, but he was in Chariots of Fire, uh, A Fish Called Wanda. He was the narrator in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And yet again, a movie I need to see, Gosford Park. He was in that with the, the dude that was in Tom Hollander, I think is his name or something. Something Hollander. Anyway. Gosford Park, on my list to see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll even cover it on this fucking podcast. How about that? John Hurt is in this movie. He plays Adam Sutler, who is basically like the head of the totalitarian regime or whatever. He's the conservative member of parliament and undersecretary of defense. I don't know British names and titles, but, you know, that sounds pretty serious. He was an alien... Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I need to revisit because when I watched it the first time, I could have sworn it was a super fucking boring movie, but I could be wrong. I might watch it again and love it. I, I never fucking know. He was in Snowpiercer, which, I mean, I liked Snowpiercer a lot. I know a lot of people, it's kind of a polarized movie, but I liked Snowpiercer. And he was the titular Elephant Man in The Elephant Man with Anthony Hopkins, and I got started watching that movie and I never finished it and I really need to go back to it. So I wrote a very basic plot synopsis. I didn't look up, I, I kind of want to start looking up on IMDb to see what the actual plot synopsis is and read it and then see if I can do better. But for this, I said, with the country under totalitarian rule, a masked terrorist named V carries out an attack on a noted historical anniversary to get the wheels in motion for revolution. An innocent woman is caught between the compli- uh, caught between complying with the government and following V. 
so there's I mean there's a lot to praise in this movie there's there's a it's a very intense serious movie it's you know there's very little lightheartedness I mean Stephen Fry gives a little bit of that but otherwise it's pretty fucking heavy Hugo Weaving's splendid speaking voice and speeches I mean the guy fucking knows how to enunciate man he's fucking great I I love his performance in this movie I would say Natalie Portman's acting is outstanding she gets pretty emotional a lot of times and she's just it she's fucking wonderful I love it it legitimately makes you want to be a part of or start a revolution it's the other thing about it that it's it's kind of a good and a bad thing it's definitely a good thing movie wise but it kind of makes you feel a little scared because of the potential for what happens in this movie to actually happen in real life and it just I mean that that ramps up the excitement but I mean it's just it's kind of terrifying at the same time uh a little bit you know I, I would say one critique I have you know uh there are some moments of dated cgi that look a little cheesy there's a scene where they throw like what are they called like those daggers like size you know like Raphael has in teenage mutant ninja turtles they show the daggers moving in slow motion and the the color is trailing off the back of the you know as they travel so you can like see their flight in the air and it just it looks iffy cgi wise i I wasn't crazy about it the other thing i i'm not a big fan of is that you don't really have a clear understanding of what the dynamic is between evie and and v they apparently they they it was a lot more ridiculous like there were there were scenes with you know in in the graphic novel there were scenes where you know it seemed like Evie and V were lovers. There were scenes where Evie and V were, you know, master and apprentice. And then it seemed like sometimes it was like father-daughter. I mean, it's just fucking weird. So a little bit of trivia. So to film the final sequence, Big Ben had to be closed from midnight to 5 a.m. for three days straight. The first time such an accommodation had been made for a film. Some of the differences, and I, I mentioned some of these, but so the novel was based on early... 80s British Thatcherism and pitted a fascist state against anarchism. The film was a more modernized version and turned it into a US-centric conflict between liberalism and neoconservatism, abandoning the original themes. The time limitations of a film meant the story had to omit or streamline some of the characters' details and plot lines from the original story. And this is where no matter what you do, you can't win as a filmmaker. You know, if you want to put together a movie and it's going to be based on something else, you're going to have to trim the fat, so to speak, or do what they're talking about, like streamlining stuff. And it's, people are just not going to be fans of it if, if you're not careful. The runtime of V for Vendetta was 132 minutes. Its budget was 50, between 50 and 54 million. Worldwide gross to date is 132.5 million. IMDb rating, 8.2 out of 10. Rotten Tomato critic score, 73%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 90%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. Get the fuck out of here. But that's what I'm going with. I love it. It It is, I, I, I have this list. I have these movies that I, it's like, 
if at any given time I just put them on, I love them. You know what I mean? I, I can just, uh, there's so many of them. For the movie Airplane, which came out on July 2nd, 1980, same year that Caddyshack came out, by the way, David and Jerry Zucker, Zucker, whatever the pr- correct pronunciation is, directed this. And they, them and Jim Abrams and, you know, whoever collaborated on a bunch of movies together. I mean, I'll just name off some movies that they were involved in. So there's a movie called The Kentucky Fried Movie, which is from the late 70s, which is a bunch of skits, basically. But they're all kind of in the same spirit of humor as this. They made a movie called Top Secret, uh, The Naked Gun Movies. Jerry made Ghost and First Night, which I didn't realize the ghost one, but First Night, like, I remember that movie. Like, I thought that movie was good when I was a kid, but I bet you I fucking hate it now. And he was in, or, and he made Rat Race. Now, David made Airplane and Top Secret, but he only made, you know, Basketball and that movie My Boss's Daughter with Ashton Kutcher that I never saw or wanted to see. But one movie that came up that Jerry had on his filmography was called Ruthless People, from the mid-80s, and I I really need to check it out because it seems like it could be decent, you know? So, no real... I mean, the, the writers are the, you know, the directors, and I'll get into kind of what the writing of this movie was like a little bit later. As far as the, the score of this movie, like, A, let me just say, the score of this movie is perfect because this is, this is a parody movie. This is a over-the-top, stupid, visual sight gag type movie that you have to be paying attention and it's just deliberately ridiculous everywhere it goes right they the the music actually plays a pretty fucking big part of that that atmosphere right because it's supposed to be like this this disaster movie they're on board this airplane nobody knows how to land it blah 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 well that's the thing is i mean you you have to walk a fine line if you're going to make a score for a movie like that. It can't be too cheesy, but it can't be too, you know, overproduced or anything. So the the guy who composed this score did an amazing job. His name is Elmer Bernstein. And I really shouldn't be surprised that he did a good fucking job based on the 1,200 fucking credits he has to his name. Uh, he He made the score for... The Ten Commandments, The Magnificent Seven, The Comancheros, To Kill a Mockingbird, Birdman of Alcatraz, The Great Escape, HUD, The Sons of Katie Elder, True Grit, Big Jake, The Shootist, Slapshot, National Lampoon's Animal House, Meatballs, The Blues Brothers, Heavy Metal, An American Werewolf in London, Stripes, Airplane 2 the Sequel, Trading Places, Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, which I need to revisit, Three Amigos, which I need to see, Funny Farm, My Left Foot, Cape Fear, the uh, Martin Scorsese one with Robert De Niro, The Rainmaker, Twilight, and Wild Wild West. Yeah, what a fucking ride that was. You know what I'm saying? That's several decades of work, That's but that's amazing fucking work. So the lead character in this movie is uh, Ted Stryker. He's played by Robert Hayes. 
Robert Hayes has been in jack shit other than this. He was in the sequel to this movie. Then there's Elaine Dickinson, who's played by Julie Haggerty. She's also in not very much. I remember her being in, like, Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds, which I actually like, but, you know, whatever. There is Dr. Rumuk, who is played by Leslie Nielsen. And this is this is the first comedic role Leslie Nielsen ever took. So, you know, it became kind of a standby that this was his kind of movie. But in reality, it for a long time, he was a serious actor and he didn't do movies like this at all. Steve McCroskey, who is like the head of air traffic control or whatever you want to call it, uh, is played by Lloyd Bridges. Uh, Captain Rex Kramer is played by Robert Stack. Robert Stack, if you don't know, is the guy who hosted the original Unsolved Mysteries show. He's got a very distinctive voice and he, he he's a very serious guy. So, I mean, it was perfect that they picked him. Uh, Peter Graves plays Captain Clarence Over. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar plays co-pilot Roger Murdoch. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of course, known for being the NBA's all-time leading scorer. To just kind of give a little synopsis here, you know, Ted used to be a pilot. Ted Stryker, who is Robert Hayes' character, uh, used to be a pilot in the military. He boards a flight that his ex-girlfriend is a flight attendant on. Uh, he's, He's hoping to win her back. Meanwhile, it's discovered in mid-flight that one of the dishes served for dinner has caused severe cases of food poisoning for everyone who ate it, including the pilots. And then it's up to Ted to overcome his demons from the war and see if he can get the plane down safely. It That sounds like a real movie, right? And you'll understand why it sounds so much like a real movie in a minute. This movie was based, uh, it was not just based, so there were a bunch of these disaster movies about shit happening on airplanes all over the fucking place, and they were in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was a really popular kind of movie, and what happened was, they were, uh, they ended up purchasing the rights to this movie called Zero Hour! Exclamation Point, uh, for $2,500, they actually accidentally recorded the movie when they were, they were trying to record something else for their, uh, comedy show or their, uh, their theater show. So they saw this movie and they thought it was like ripe for parody. And so they, they kind of went all out, you know, basically they wrote this entire movie airplane and they ended up buying the rights to the script because they had used so much of it that they were afraid that the fair use and parody uh, protections afforded by copyright laws would not be so generous if they'd done this much, you know, because it was basically like the whole fucking movie. So they just bought the rights to it. All right, so back back to where I was. I, I wanted to make sure I covered that. But so... There are sight gags all over the place. They're all fucking hilarious. I love them. There, there are some more minor than others. You know, some just, just little, teensy little giggles or whatever. I love this. There's this sequence in the airport because, like, you keep seeing people walking through the airport and they keep getting bothered by these solicitors. You know, like the the Hare Krishna people or, you know, whoever you might think of that 
could possibly want you to donate money to them or to join up in their cause comes up, you know, and they're bugging people at the airport, right? During this time, at least. I mean, now it wouldn't happen so much because they'd have to be outside of the gates and all that stuff. So anyway, there's there's a scene where Robert Stack's character, Rex Kramer, comes through the airport. You know, it's, he's like on high alert, like just rushing to get to where he's going. And these people are coming up to him and he is... He is fucking clocking these people and just fucking knocking them out left and right. It is, oh man, I fucking love it. There's also a scene because, you know, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that's playing Roger Murdoch, the co-pilot in this movie. And there's there's quite a funny scene with him and it, it's, it's highly enjoyable. I suggest, I mean, I suggest watching this movie, but you know, if you can't at least check out the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scene from airplane on YouTube or something. We've all seen like Ted sweating profusely and it just looks ridiculous. It looks like, you know, somebody's just dumping a hose on his head. <laughs> I, I love when they're they're freaking out because they don't know what to do. The plane's going down because the you know the pilot passed out or whatever. And they they do the automatic pilot. It's such a fucking great moment. Oh my god. There's a scene where they keep showing Ted telling his story about Elaine and why, you know, they aren't together or what happened between them or whatever. The people that are listening to his story react in such an over-the-top hilarious way. It, oh my God. I, I can't, I, I like, I don't want to give it all away. And I, and I feel like explaining it, like I explained this, don't explain why something is the way it is, you know? It's like, just, just fucking watch it and tell me if you think it's funny. Basically, everything Leslie Nielsen does in this movie is hilarious. I mean, to give you a perfect example, he they're they're trying to find a doctor when they notice all these food poisonings, and they're so they're calmly asking people, you know, is there are you a doctor? Do you know a doctor that's on board or you know whatever? And they walk up to Leslie Nielsen and they ask him if he's a doctor and. It shows him and he's wearing a fucking stethoscope and he says, yes, that's right. Like he says it so seriously and it doesn't break even a little bit and it's fucking priceless. I mean, other than like some of those, those highlight type things, yeah, I mean, I, I love the whole movie all the way through and there's a guy named Johnny at the airport that is ridiculous like he's this really effeminate guy but he's I, I mean he's just so fucking funny like it, just all the shit he says he's not taking anything seriously and it's like what what is this you know what I mean like because everybody else is playing it straight faced and then he's like you know the tower Rapunzel Rapunzel and it's like what the humor at one time in this movie was unlike any I'd ever experienced. I'd never seen anything like this. And I don't know if up until this point there had ever been a movie like this. I don't think so. But, you know, it's possible. Uh, as I mentioned, Leslie Nielsen was a gift in this movie. The music is super underappreciated. And I think, you know, it just needs to, to be acknowledged a little more. There are so many different... Like, you can tell that that the guys that made this movie are like people that do sketches and stuff because there's all these little bits, you know what I mean? There's all these little 
short scenes and stuff. And, and they also, like, they kind of made up stuff on the fly from what I gather. Like, there's a scene where this woman's freaking freaking out and she's like, you know, you gotta get, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. And, like, one of the flight attendants comes up and, like, kind of, like, pre- you know, like, like, almost slaps her around a little bit to, like, get her to calm down. And then, like, the doctor comes up and fucking, you know, starts hitting her a little harder and pushing and... And she's still like freaking out. And then like you, they pan out and you can see this long line of people that are like waiting to like slap this woman senseless. And some of them are holding guns and knives and shit, you know? I mean, it's, it's too fucking great. The only thing I would say that I notice in this movie that I, I, I honestly like, I could not ever understand as a kid and I couldn't even understand now is... Like, they they parody a lot of stuff. I mean, especially, like, the movies that this movie parodied, they they didn't stand the test of time like Airplane did. You know what I mean? This movie was so much more influential than any of those other movies that it was making fun of. And now it's like, looking back, it's like, I don't really get the humor. You know, like, I, I it's funny on a basic level. But, like, I don't get the referential humor that they're making. I mean, they, they parody some stuff. They parody, like, a commercial. They parody, you know, like... But it's it's nothing I've ever seen or heard of. You know what I mean? I've never... I don't know. I mean, it's very bizarre to me. Other other than that, you know, we've... A little more trivia. I talked about them buying out the script to zero hour. So, apparently, the voice actors that were... Uh, there's a scene in the beginning of the movie... You know, where they're announcing at the airport, they're saying the white zone is for loading and unloading of passengers only. Uh, There's no stopping in a red zone. And it's this man and this woman going back and forth. And then eventually, like, it turns into an argument. And it turns out that the man and woman that did that for this movie are actually, like, they were the real LAX announcers at the time, and they're actually married, or they and they were married then too. So I, I thought that was really cool. I never I had never heard that. The Jaws spoof in the beginning of the movie, like the very beginning of the movie, is how it starts. Uh, was made using layers of co- uh, cotton. So basically, what it is is it's you're looking at, at a cloud covered sky, and you look out across it, and you hear the Jaws theme song. And you see the tail of an airplane go back and forth like a shark's fin. And then, you know, pop up. But what they did was they they layer, they did layers of cotton on plywood. And then they put the, the airplane or what was supposed to look like an airplane on a track. And then had it control its movements back and forth. I, I, I never really thought about how it would be made. But, you know, I found that pretty interesting. They deliberately cast all these these serious actors to play these roles. I mean, you take Leslie Nielsen, Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack, Peter Graves. All these guys were notorious, serious actors, right? And that that was the thing. Is it's like it, it works so well because of that. I think if they were just unknown actors or something like that it'd be different but a lot of them wanted to do it in order to be able to parody themselves so that's pretty neat 
The role of Ted Stryker was written for David Letterman. Wow. Uh, Bill Murray and Fred Willard were also considered, and I think both of them would have been not... I mean, I love Bill Murray, don't get me wrong. He, I don't think this role would have been right for him because he, Bill Murray will always have a look on his face like he... He just made a joke. You know what I mean? That's that's the way he is. And so I don't know that if it would I don't know that it would have landed as well with Bill Murray in the role. And Fred Willard, I just I don't see him being a good leading man. Uh, apparently Caitlyn Jenner also uh, read for the part. Caitlyn, I mean obviously she was known as Bruce Jenner at the time of this, but uh, yeah. So uh, Sigourney Weaver. And Shelley Long also auditioned for the role of Elaine before it went to Julie Haggerty. The runtime of this movie is 87 minutes. The budget, $3.5 million. Worldwide gross to date, $171 million. They covered the budget in the first two days of release. Uh, it was the fourth highest grossing movie of 1980 behind The Empire Strikes Back. Stir Crazy, and Kramer vs. Kramer. IMDb rating, 7.7. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 97%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 89%. Personal rating of 5 out of 5. I really need to cover some movies I don't like. I think that's going to be my next episode. Bad movies for my next episode. That's That settles it. I haven't decided what they're going to be. But... I got it. I got to do something different because I mean, you guys are gonna get bored to tears with me just talking about how much I love movies and stuff. You know. Thank you for tuning in today. I do appreciate it. I can't say that enough. Thank you for your time. Obviously, as you know, you think of things. If you want me to check out a movie and cover it on the podcast, I can certainly put it on my list. You know, I'm not saying it's gonna get done right away, so be patient. But the worst I can say is no. You know what I mean? And I realize that that's advice that I could take in my own life, but, you know, whatever. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 